This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Pre-recorded from Joe's mom's basement. Welcome to another Rewind episode of the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Griffin the Intern, but all the guys in my board game club just call me the Fintern. Well, we've got a big show today, and because of that, Joe and OG are out buying ice cream. Nothing better than to finish the week with ice cream, except that at least one of them is lactose intolerant, so more fun for them than me. Today we have a fun roundtable episode that includes all three of our usual contributors. They'll talk about investing basics. Also, in the fintech segment, Joe talks to Andrew Dietrich from Final, a company trying to solve lots of the problems of credit cards. No matter what, I don't think you'll be disappointed because, as always, the Roundtable Groups talks about lots of topics on this episode. Enjoy this show from November 18th of last year. Finturn out. Investing is personal, as much art as science. Things well made are worth more. Smith Barney. They make money the old-fashioned way. They earn it. Live from the basement where we host a roundtable discussion every Friday, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what a way to end your week. Get this, joining us on today's show from LenPenzo.com, it's Vladimir Putin. Nah, I'm just kidding. He's on his way to the White House. It's Len Penzo. And from Afford Anything, we welcome the only person that makes sense on this show, Paula Pant. And finally, because we've been missing him these last few weeks, from Investopedia and Control Your Cash, it's Greg McFarlane. And here he is, because what would a Friday show be without a host? Here's Joe Saul Sihai. Hey, and happy Friday to you, everybody. I am Joe Saul Sihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And what a great day for a podcast. Getting ready for the weekend, ready to have some fun. One week to go until the big Thanksgiving holiday week kicks off. And what a way to start it all. Hey, just got to say a big thanks to everybody who's gone to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money before we get started. Because if you've gone to magnify money, here's what you know that the people that haven't gone don't know. It is the number one place to compare your debt products, your checking account, and your savings account well better than any other. In fact, uh, a recent Reddit user showed that uh, the closest competitor looks at just over 60% of the things that are out there where Magnify Money looks at well over 90%. Average person who goes there saves over $450 
when they head there. So what are you waiting for? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, whether it's your credit card, your debt repayment loans, student loans, whatever it might be. Speaking of student loans, we've got the number one student loan company as a sponsor this year podcast, StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. That's spelled S-O-F-I. Very happy to have them as a sponsor because when you go to refinance your student loan debt, you don't want to go anyplace else. Uh, Magnify Money shows them as number one for student loans. But not only that, they also do personal loans. And my friend Dan over at SoFi, he and I were talking about a new program where now you can also roll that student loan into your mortgage for an even lower interest rate. Now, some issues with that, by the way, you just took student loans and made them a 30-year loan. So make sure you've got an overall debt strategy before you go do that. It can be a powerful, powerful thing, but uh, we don't want to get people in trouble. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SOFI. Here's a way, by the way, to sweeten that deal. You use SOFI for a student loan or a consolidation loan. You know what? They're going to throw in 100 bucks because you used our link. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash S-O-F-I. All right, that's it. We got Andrew from Final in our FinTech segment today. That's going to be fun. A discussion with the regulars. Let's get this party started, huh? All right, let's walk across the room here to my dad's shortwave and dust this baby off again. Crank it up and see if we can get the greatest minds back I think we got the band back together. Let's start out in the desert where Paula Pant from Afford Anything joins us, I think. Paula, you there? I might be. I might not be. You're just going to have to guess over the course of this segment. If you're just phoning it in? Well, if I'm all the way there. Right, right. And let's stay in the desert where I believe Greg McFarland is back from Control Your Cash and Investopedia. Welcome back, man. Great to be here. I will I will not be moving anytime soon. <laughs> well, and there's a reason for that, and there's a reason why we haven't heard from you. You are now the bionic man, huh? <laughs> uh, one or two percent, anyway. Uh, but my left knee decided that it wanted to get replaced, and then the right knee said, hey, I'll go on board, too. So four days in the hospital, uh, two catheters, one enema, whole lot of painkillers, and learning to walk again. I'm walking like a 100-year-old man. <laughs> You're practicing saying, get off my lawn. Exactly. Right. And the guy who says that regularly in Los Angeles, California, even when there's not kids on his lawn, he just goes around yelling it. Len Penzo from LenPenzo.com joins us. Get off of my lawn there, Joe. There you go. Stay away from the bunker too, would you? That's right. Hands off the bunker. How is the bunker today? Bunker's great. I I just uh, updated the latest booby trap. So uh, I'm all excited to try it out and on how, the first victim. Well, what does the booby trap do? Or can't you tell uh, us? You no, know, I, can't, I can't really tell. I'll, I'll tell you this. It involves a taser, a gallon of water, and a trap door. I thought that's just you. Use your the, imagination. I thought that's just you and the honeybee on a Friday night. <laughs> nobody, <That too. laughs> no, nobody knows we've done that joke twice. And it went over as well the second time as it did the first time. All right. let's, let's just move into our article. There's nothing to see here. Our first one, guys, we're going to go 101 here. This comes to us from uh, money.mike. Invest online, how to grow your money cheaply without ever putting on pants. And I definitely, Len, will stick with you, like the idea of not having to put on pants because I'm as lazy as the next guy. 
But this article goes through some very basic stuff. And as I read it, I thought, you know, we've got some people listening to this show that might not know what some of these things are. Like question number one they they ask is, what's a low-cost brokerage? Do you use a low-cost brokerage? Sometimes there's there's been occasions when I have used a low a low cost brokerage. You know, the, the, in the old days they didn't have these things. So so what the low cost brokerage is basically it's a way that allows you to trade financial products, mostly you know stocks. In the old days you had to go through a full service brokerage, kind of like Smith Barney or um, that was when I was a kid. That was the remember those Smith Barney commercials. Right. The, who was the guy that said they own it? You know, real stuffy companies that would would buy and sell stocks for you. And of course, along with that came a lot of financial advice, which jacked up the fees when you made your trades. The low-cost brokerages are nice. You can do these online, like E-Trade or, or a Trade King or, or a Scott Trade. And you can trade for like sometimes, you know, $5 a trade, $7 a trade. It, it depends. But it's a lot cheaper than going through the full service. The downside to that is, of course, you don't get the advice. So if you think you know what you're doing, that's the way to, to buy and sell your stocks. Yeah, it's it's funny. When I first traded stocks or before I started trading stocks, before I became a financial advisor, I just thought when you bought a stock like you sent the money to the company. I had no idea you had this holding tank. Greg, do you use, a, use an online broker? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. The guy who said they make money the old-fashioned way, they earn it, John Houseman, died John Houseman. 28 that's years it. ago. I couldn't remember his name. So that's another reference that's right down Paula's alley. <laughs> no idea who you guys are talking about. <laughs> he was cool. What was that movie where he was the professor that they were trying to to uh, get to know, and he kept uh, he was like the mean professor? The Paper Chase. They made a TV series out of it. I cannot believe I know this. Yeah, what's The Paper Chase for 100, Alex? Yeah, that's good. Uh, uh, paper chase. I'm Googling this. <laughs> Paula, <laughs> Paula, while you're Googling, let's see if you can multitask. Use a low-cost brokerage. When I first started trading back in the day, I opened an account with E-Trade. And technically, that account is still open just because I've been too lazy to close it, but I haven't used it in years. Uh, these days, when I do want to buy an individual stock, I'll use either an online app called Robinhood or a website called Loyal3.com, both of which allow you to trade stocks for free, individual stocks. Really? Yes. Does Robinhood, with the uh, as stripped down as it is because it's free, does that bother you at all? Do you like the functionality? Yeah, I love free, dude. Like, right. it's totally great. It does what I need it to do for zero cost. Yeah, I think. Well, it, I mean, does it just does it limit you by just putting in a market order? Can you put all the limit orders and all that kind of stuff too? I mean, does there limit you in that way? I I've never tried, but I believe that you can go the full deal, do the limit okay. orders and the stop orders and the fancy okay. fancy. Okay. Greg, have you used any of these apps? I've not used the apps. I use a. Uh, I have a company up in Canada that I use called Canaccord, which has been pretty sweet. I, I had an E-Trade account. It's sitting dormant, just like Paula's. Uh, one little piece of advice I want to give to people, don't be befuddled. Don't get unnecessarily turned on. Hey, 500 free trades if you sign up. 1,000 free trades. <laughs> no, no. Right. right. You don't want lots of free trades. The idea no. is that you're not supposed to be buying and selling every day. That's that's great advice. I didn't even think about that because that is that they have those on all of those ads. Oh, you'll get five bajillion free trades. The next thing that they talk about is a mutual fund. And I, I thought about this, Paula. I thought, man, there are people that don't know what a mutual fund is. And maybe we should explain that. You know, I think you're better off not knowing. I mean, at least in terms of actively managed mutual funds. Uh, why bother when you could 
access a passively managed index fund, which will get you a very similar diversification for a fraction of the price. But the idea of mutual fund in general leads you down that road. So can you explain how a mutual fund works? Sure. A mutual fund is a basket of different stocks. So instead of owning a couple of shares of Coca-Cola or a couple of shares of Nike and a couple of shares of Hewlett-Packard, you would instead own a basket with, say, 500 different companies. I'm just making that number up. It could be any given X number of companies. Uh, You'll own tiny amounts of each one. And so the idea is that you're not overexposed to any given company. Coca-Cola could completely go out of business tomorrow and the weight of the rest of the companies within that fund would help you be more or less okay. What do you like best about a mutual fund? You know, you talk about passive active, we'll get there in a second, but but the number one thing, is it that diversification, your ability to buy one thing and you don't have to worry about the bottom falling out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if you buy an individual stock, you have to know what's going on with that particular company. And that can require Uh, If you're doing it well, that requires a lot of research. Whereas with a mutual fund, you'll often buy a mutual fund that represents a certain asset class, meaning like really big companies or tiny little companies or companies in Asia. Uh, And so you can get those different types of exposure in a way that's really spread out and doesn't hinge on a single company. Greg, I think you're an individual stock guy, but did you kind of, you know, it's like they always talk about marijuana being the gateway drug. Were mutual funds your gateway drug that got you into investing? Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with mutual funds. If you don't want to be adventurous, mutual funds are a good thing. And and I don't mean that facetiously. Adventurous gets you to the moon, but it can also get you killed sometimes. There's nothing wrong uh, with being conservative and looking at passive income as an adjunct to your salary or wage. Uh, That being said, some of us want more. We want the possibility of higher returns, significantly better than market returns, and we want a chance at greater self-determination than you can get for an employer. If that's you, then yeah, look at individual stocks, but understand that it's it's a job unto itself, whereas buying a mutual fund really isn't. And another thing I want to add is that the author of this article is very, very practical. She delivers a truth that most people are too dumb or blind to understand, which is regardless of Whichever mutual funds, ETFs, individual stocks you want to look at, pay off your debt first. Your high interest consumer debt at any rate, putting money in a mutual fund makes no sense when you have a credit card balance hanging over your head. You don't join a gym until you quit smoking first. Len, in your investing, you use mutual funds a bunch? No, I don't. You know why? Because I have a 401k and I and I I just lead on um, for that kind of stuff. I there's enough things in my 401k that kind of act like the mutual funds. So, yeah, but those are mutual um, funds, aren't they? I mean, aren't yeah, those mutual funds? It, yeah, but I don't I don't actively go into a, a mutual fund. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I mean, I'm just I, I will get go in and out of that stuff via my 401k. So it's a little different because I'm not charged any fees directly through my 401k for those, so to speak. So that's what I, that's why I'm saying that. I, if anything I do, I do it through my 401k for stuff like that. Yeah. A 401k, a tax shelter like that with things inside of it. Do you worry about having your eggs all in that one basket? Yeah, a little bit, but what, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? So, so within the 401k, I just try to diversify as much as I can. Sure. I, I just spread things out as much as I possibly can. I just feel safer. The more you're spread out, something's going to go down. Hopefully something will counterbalance that to, to, to make up for the losses. So, yes. Uh, next, the author talks about exchange traded funds. We should probably go there. Greg, let's go to you because exchange traded funds kind of strips away that manager you're talking about and gives you an even lower cost way to invest. 
Exchange-traded funds behave just like individual stocks or any other security that you can buy on an exchange. And the values go up and down every day, sometimes at a premium, sometimes at a discount. If you do want to buy an exchange-traded fund, it helps to know what it consists of. And the companies that sell them, whether it's Vanguard, PIMCO, whatever, they disclose what's in the funds, but you really have to dig to find them. And one thing that surprised me, and I think will surprise other investors, is just how comprehensive some of these funds are, containing hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of stocks. By the time you get to the smallest component of the fund, you're down to like point, like three digits past the decimal point, point zero 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 one percent of the fund. You use uh, ETFs, as we call them, exchange-traded funds, sometimes when you make sector bets, don't you? Uh, me personally, not anymore. Right, okay. right now, I'm just I'm just living and breathing with individual stocks and real okay. estate. Yeah, Paula, how about you? This is this is where you live, right? Is exchange traded funds? I love ETFs. Um, unfortunately, my I have a Roth solo 401k, and I'm not allowed to buy ETFs in it, which pisses me off. So I have to buy index funds with that. But yeah, any accounts that I have that give me the ability to buy ETFs, uh, I tend to to hold those instead of index funds that represent roughly the same like broad diversified asset class. So what I mean by that, to put that into like normal person terms, is that let's say I want to buy a fund that tracks the entire S&P 500. I could buy that in the form of an index fund or I could buy that in the form of an ETF. Typically, and the, of course, this isn't always true. You should always check the numbers. But typically, the fees on that ETF, which is called an expense ratio, is going to be a, a little bit cheaper. So that's why I like ETFs better. Yeah, good stuff. And we'll link to this in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. They also go into robo-advisors, and we'll let people read about that and maybe tackle that another time. But I want to get to our next article, which comes to us from Inc., this is a list of the seven best motivational books of 2016. By the way, before we get into this, because I don't really want to ask you about these books in particular. Anybody read any of these books that were on the list? I didn't. <laughs> I have read Smart the precursor to Smarter, Faster, Better, but I haven't read Smarter, Faster, Better. Yeah, me too. Charles Duhigg. Uh, yeah. I know Grant Cardone's been making the rounds lately with his Be Obsessed or Be Average book. But but I don't want to ask you about this list. We'll have this list of 2016s. But in terms of motivating you, what books motivated you more than any other? I get fascinated by what people read that motivates them. Uh, Greg, why don't we start with you? Because you've probably had lots of time to read lately. What motivates you? Uh, I read all the classics, uh, Think and Grow Rich, which I thought was garbage. I, I, I shouldn't say garbage, but on page two, it says when you're selling, and ideally if you're selling real estate like Napoleon Hill, and uh, the other guy, never take no for an answer. If you never took no for an answer, you would never make a sale. It's the irresistible force running into the immovable object. Somebody's just going to say no. You get a hard no, wait until maybe. Maybe might mean yes. So read that, read The uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. But my all-time favorite, it's a little more obscure. It's a book called The Ten Natural Laws of Successful Time and Life Management. Oh. It's by a guy named Hiram Smith, which is the same name as the brother of the co-founder of the Mormon Church. I think they're related. Uh, it was written in 1993 or so. It's a little obscure, but it's great. The author is legitimately funny, so the book isn't as dry as some of its counterparts. And most importantly, it has bold actionable advice. The author was the founder of uh, Franklin Quest, the company that became Franklin Covey. 
which merged with Stephen Covey, the Seven Habits guys company. Franklin Covey, I don't even know if they're still around. They make day planners, which are obsolete in a world of software and smartphones. I think they do mostly seminars now. But the book was great. And you can read it in a, maybe an afternoon and a half. It says to understand your motivations and other people's. That's the one big thing that I got out of it. Realize that everyone is motivated by something, everyone you come into contact with. And also, if you have a big project, divide it into chunks. You know, what's funny is I knew when you said it, it sounded familiar. I, when you said Franklin Covey, I've read this. This is a fantastic book. That's a great book, man. I got to go back and reread that. Cause you're right. That's a Boy, I didn't expect that. The, there's the part in the first chapter where the guy says, uh, I'm going to put whatever amount of money at the end of this plank and you have to walk between these two skyscrapers. And then you get the one person in the crowd who's like, I don't display any type of behavior for money. He goes, okay, fine. I have your kid. I'm holding him by his ankle. You going to come <laughs> over now? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> and then he says, and then I made the mistake of saying that to a woman who had a teenager and she said, drop him. <laughs> Please, quick. Right. Paula, what motivates you? So actually, I love uh, on the topic of uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I read that for the first time, I, I think when I was in high school or maybe early college and loved it. I'm actually currently in the process of rereading it for this is probably my fourth or fifth time. One of the biggest takeaways that I got from that book was the concept of circle of concern versus circle of influence, meaning that there's a lot of things that you could possibly be concerned with in this world, such as how nice is Len's hair? But there are other things that, you know, only a <laughs> small fraction of that that you can influence. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Len, since I can't influence your hair, then while I might be concerned about it, I can't influence it. It's not in my, uh, it's not effective for me to waste a lot of mental energy thinking about it. That's all right. I can't influence it either, Paula, as you, <laughs> as you well know. You could buy him some Rogaine for the holidays. <laughs> You have direct influence on that, Paula. You know, Len, I made the shot on your hair because I was I was about to uh, crack yet another joke about your gold-plated bunker, but I thought, nah, that's a little bit tired. What else can I make fun of him about? With booby traps. That's oh, that's right. And a gallon of water. And what else was there? A taser. A taser. That almost sounds like some type of hair regenerative. <laughs> we could try it. Yeah, but with the, hey, well, it's worth a shot. <laughs> it all depends on where you put the taser. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, Len, how about you? What motivates you? I was thinking about that and, and, you know, I was given, this was a motivational book that was actually given to me. And I, and I'm sure there's a few people out there in the corporate world uh, who have been given this book in the past, but it really was a good book. I just out of curiosity, Greg or Paula, do you know what I'm going to say? Which book I'm talking about? Corporations were handing this book out back uh, 15 years ago. Oh, 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 I have a guess. Yeah, go ahead. Was it the book, The Paper Chase, which according to Wikipedia <laughs> is a 1970 novel by John J. Osborne Jr., as well as a 1973 film based on the novel? No, it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was Who Moved My Cheese? Oh, Spencer yeah. Johnson was the, was the author. I, I don't know if anybody heard about it, but it was a really good book about how to deal with change in one's life and how not to be complacent in life as well when things are going well, because sometimes complacency can lead to decay. And then when things really change, you're unprepared. And it really was, it's a very short book. It's just a nice little parable that's very helpful. And it makes you realize that, you know what, you, 
change happens and you've always got to be ready for it and you embrace it. Don't fear it, embrace it and do what you have to do to, to get through whatever uh, happens to you. That book is part of the one minute manager series. Did you guys like that series? Did you like the one minute manager, Greg? Yeah. Yes and no. I didn't like the idea of the one minute in hell approach to a, to a recalcitrant employee, just sit there and scream at him for a minute. I didn't understand what the point of that was <laughs> better to be passive aggressive and let him think that their jobs <laughs> job is about to fall out from underneath them. Paul, have you read the one minute manager? I have not read it, and I'm uh, honestly a little bit too immature to uh, be able to hear the title of One Minute Manager without having some inappropriate thoughts. <laughs> One minute, really? Come on. <laughs> Can anybody get that, that done in a minute, talking to your employee? Come on. Right. <laughs> Mine is a Tom Peters book called The Pursuit of Wow, which is just all about taking control of your career. And, and it's funny because, you know, people wait for somebody else to train them, for somebody else to pick up the ball. And you see these employees that just, they don't do anything if the company doesn't advocate it. And he basically says, whether you work for the man or work for yourself, why would you ever want to suck at your job? You know, create your own career path. And it's pretty powerful stuff. We're just wow people. So Tom Peters is a guy. Uh, by the way, if you don't like a lot of gratuitous use of the F-bomb, you probably don't want to read Tom Peters. <laughs> yeah. uh, Cal Newport writes about similar topics, how to be more successful in at work or in school. He's got like a whole series for students as well. Um, your description of those books reminded me of him and Cal does not use profanity. So that might be a good alternative. So if you, if, if you like the F-bomb, read Peters. If you don't read Newport, there you go. <laughs> we just divided our audience in half right there. Uh, <laughs> we should say we just divided our audience in half there. <laughs> Hey, got to take a quick break from talking with Paula, Len, and Greg to say a big thanks to everybody who's gone to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money when they're shopping for those financial products you use every day. You know, we comparison shop everything, don't we? We shop for a new pair of jeans. People go across town for a better gas price, maybe 10 cents off their gas. Well, how about saving tons of money and using products when it comes to your everyday financial life that actually makes sense. That's crazy, isn't it? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money will help you analyze those credit card rewards or do a balance transfer to a 0% loan. They will also help you with your student loans or get this, how about checking accounts that have lower fees, maybe better ATM access or savings accounts that actually pay the highest that you can find. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And after you go to magnify money, you're going to find out that when it comes to student loans and personal loans, SoFi always comes out on top. That's spelled S-O-F-I. These guys are everywhere. I just saw SoFi uh, sponsoring college football, which makes sense because if you're in college or you've graduated and you've got student loans, you may want to consolidate those loans. And when you do, SoFi is the place to go because of the way it's set up. They're a marketplace lender. And what that means very quickly is that they have the ability to give you a lot lower rate than a bank does. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash S-O-F-I. And if you use our link, they will throw in $100. How about that? Hey, we are up to our FinTech segment for the day. I'm going to talk to Andrew Dietrich here. I was excited. I met Andrew Dietrich at FinTech. They started telling me what it was all about. Sounded pretty cool. I said, you got to come on the show. 
And then he said, well, and he starts telling me more. And I said, I don't want, whoa, 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 wait. I love learning about these FinTech products, especially when they're introduced to me by good people. And actually Andrew was introduced to me by a few people. They're like, you gotta have Andrew Dietrich on to tell you about Final. We do not endorse any of the FinTech products that we have on the show, but I love giving you every week these brand new tools because there's so much exciting stuff going on. You're somebody that just banks at the big bank. Man, are you missing out because the apps that I use, the uh, tools that I use, those types of things really cool. And here's somebody now innovating in the credit space. So coming down the stairs, Andrew Dietrich from Final, let's say hello. And Andrew Dietrich from Final joins us. Welcome to the party, man. Thanks, Joe. Glad to be here. Well, now, different entrepreneurs start their fintech for different reasons. Why did you decide to start Final? Yes, it was a really personal reason. I was traveling around Europe about three years ago um, with friends who turned out to be co-founders of Final with me, and we were having issues with our credit cards. The target breach had happened, and our bank didn't notify us and shut off our credit cards as we were hopping from hostel to hostel around Europe. So pretty frustrating experience, no easy way to get a credit card shipped to us as we're in Europe, like a really urgent need to deal with that. And then also dealing with sort of cross-continent phone calls to deal with financial situations, just really frustrating consumer experience all around. So it really started with that. And then coming back to the U.S. and realizing how many different payments are linked to your one credit card and that one static card number, uh, whether that's Uber and Netflix for sort of coming back from from the airport to broader things like car insurance, cell phone bill. And then I also had things stored with public storage that they're threatening to auction off because I was late on the payment. So it's kind of amazing when you think about how many things are connected to that one credit card number and realized the credit card was really never built for this world of recurring payments and relationships and how to segment them and, and provide consumer control over them. So credit cards are due for innovation. But I want to go back to I want to go back to you in Europe because this just sounds so horrible. Uh, not to, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you might not want to dwell on it, but I do for a second because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just all about the story. So you have no money then. I mean, did you have other ways to pay for stuff? Yeah. So, you know, had to move around money in accounts and use a debit card. Had to figure out how to get cash from ATMs and deal with those charges. The fees are different. So sort of had planned ahead for a no fee credit card. Suddenly had to deal with fees on a debit card and figure out sort of how to quickly move money around and and also ask to to borrow money from family. (laughs) Where specifically were you when your credit card got denied the first time? Uh, So I was in uh, Berlin. Wow. At a restaurant or youth hostel or what? I think it was check-in at the hostel. So it was sort of where everything started to uh, go awry. Oh, what a horrible, (laughs) what a horrible night. Oh, man. So with final then, uh, explain to people how this works, because all of those problems that you just listed, I feel like you had a checklist and you're like, I want to make sure we cover all those. So what is final then and how does it work? Yep. So final is a credit card that gives you as many numbers as you want uh, to establish those relationships, either one time or recurring. So we give you two types of card numbers, one time use. If you you don't trust the merchant, you're only going to make one purchase with them. So it's instantly disabled after that purchase goes through and not valuable if anyone gets their hands on it down the line. 
uh, or a merchant lock number. So you generate that number and it'll directly connect and lock to the first merchant that makes a transaction on it. So if you, you know, have a car insurance bill, cell phone bill, use your card at Amazon, Netflix, you create unique card numbers for that. What's really nice about that is that if you ever lose your physical card, if any one of those merchants is breached or affected, or uh, if your card number expires, your physical card number expires, the rest of your payments just work. So you don't ever have to go back and reattach all that payment information, and you can instantly generate card numbers on the fly, even if you don't have your physical card. So I have just one card, but I have unlimited number of numbers for different purposes? Yeah, we think of it as one account and you have an unlimited number of cards or sub-accounts that are attached to that one account and one line of credit. It's sort of an unlimited world of possibilities that you wouldn't really think of from a credit card perspective. But when you think about it from like a checking account perspective, it makes perfect sense, right? You have money in a checking account, you can have a debit card attached to that, and as many checks as you want attached to that account. Does, so, does, does the actual final card then not have a number on it? I have those elsewhere, like in an app, or how does that work? So we can't go that far. Uh, we've talked to the networks about potentially doing that or having a dynamic number for an in-person card. Yeah. But the nice thing about the physical plastic card is that, you know, the industry has been with it for, for decades and it just works. So it's a nice sort of fail-proof in-person solution. So we give you a physical EMV card and then we also give you access to as many virtual cards as you want, either one-time use or merchant lock through a mobile application and a web application. Got it. So if I'm at a merchant and they don't take, uh, and I need the plastic, then I'm just going to use the physical card, which has one number. But if I'm shopping online, which more and more is, you know, most of the time, then I can use an unlimited number of numbers. That's how it works? Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's so wild. So if I... Now I have 50 questions, Andrew. So the, because I like, as my listeners know, I like learning about this as possible. I met you at FinCon and I specifically tried to know as little as possible so I can learn here live. But, you know, my mind is, uh, is blown up here, I guess. When, when I use the card, is it a MasterCard? Is it a Discover card? Is it, a, is it tied to one of those big networks? Yeah, it's a Visa credit card. So it's on the Visa network. And we have a, a bin with Visa and a partnership with uh, First Bank and Trust out of Brookings, South Dakota that issues the card with us. Got it. And then when I use the card, if they take one of the pay programs, I'm guessing I can still avoid using my card and still put expenses on the final card and get away. Because it, it sounds to me like I want to try to use that physical number as little as possible. Well, for us, what's really nice is we made it like a sub account. So it's okay. easily replaceable like any other card. The thing is, if you have multiple cards, anything that's on them is isolated from the physical card. So the physical card is actually more replaceable in our model than it is uh, with your existing credit card in your wallet. Even if it still has a single number on it? Because if you have Amazon attached to a separate relationship, your Amazon still works. If Netflix is separate, Netflix still works. So your physical card is really going to be for one-off in-person purchases. So it doesn't really, it's a, it's a very replaceable instrument in that regard. Whereas if recurring relationships are attached to it, that's where it becomes really painful. So let's take your situation. I'm in Berlin and I'm trying to check into the, the hostel. What happens now? Yeah. So if my physical card uh, had an issue with Target and the physical card was breached and the bank shut it off, I'd still have access to be able to instantly generate virtual cards. So I could pay for that night directly from my cell phone with Wi-Fi access. 
So that's one thing. And then the other piece is coming back to the States and having to deal with sort of all of these accounts missing payment information because the payment information is no longer valid because the, the card's been shut off. I wouldn't have that issue. So just sort of headache and worry-free in that moment in Berlin. I love this, how the card kind of moves with your life, right? I mean, your life changes. You can easily move and you don't have to, because I think of all the, I'm 48 years old, Andrew, and I think of all the different cards and the card numbers and the number of times I've had to go change stuff. I no longer have to do that anymore. Never have to think about it again. And and if instead of a, it being an issue with your physical card, but it was one of your your online relationships, so what we call a virtual card or unembossed pen, um, if one of those cards was affected, uh, the rest of your cards would be unaffected. That card would actually be worthless to anyone who used it because, you know, say you have a Netflix card, it's locked to Netflix. If Netflix gets breached and someone gets their hands on it and they try to go spend it at walmart.com, it won't work. It's invalid for that purchase type. So so we actually create cards that are have a lot of value to the end consumer, but no value to someone who gets their hands on them. Oh, that's I can easily see the entire credit card industry going this way over time. I'm sure you must have had discussions with some of the big boys about how you guys are innovating. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's really interesting is that the decisions you make around your infrastructure, we had to learn a lot in this industry, by the way. So we, we were all outsiders of the industry uh, looking okay. in. So we spent a lot of time learning and asking questions. <laughs> and one of the big things we learned is that you make these technology decisions as an issuer that impact your line of business for decades to come. So it's sort of like, you know, it's a big ship that can only sort of be slightly steered in different directions, but you can't quickly change course and adopt certain types of technologies. And, and this is an example of that where you're you're limited in terms of how you can provide multiple card numbers uh, to consumers. So the big banks have some of the largest uh, issuing processors that they work with, but their architecture just fundamentally doesn't support the way we think about the world and, and the way the world works now. I was reading about Tesla recently and, you know, Tesla guys has gotten such a head start in a lot of ways on their battery technology because of the fact that they don't have like General Motors has all these gasoline plants and people they need to keep busy in these legacy systems. It seems like a parallel universe. That's kind of what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. And so actually another great piece that I'd like to mention in that experience in Berlin, right, is the, one of the frustrations was having to deal with like limited phone calling hours for dealing with the states, what that collect number would be, and then knowing that you're going to be on hold for a while. Um, so no one really likes the current servicing model for credit cards. If you're sort of a part of the younger generation, you'd rather just email or chat directly with an agent. So one of the things we've done as well is said, you know, we don't want to be in that situation again. We'd rather just have Wi-Fi and shoot off an email and have it solved that way. So, so we do email first servicing for our customers. And we see currently we support phone as well, but we see about a 10 to one shift of emails to phone I bet. Uh, for support requests. Oh, I totally, I totally bet. And that's even headed away. I would think it's going to be all social media before we know it. Yep. Yeah. And, and we expect it'll, it'll go up from 10 to one to maybe 30 or 50 right. to one in our model. Um, and it'll absolutely be sort of both social media and email and chat and all sort of much more instant. And, you know, you can do asynchronous communication with email, but it's still highly effective and, and it's the way we're used to communicating. Andrew, where are you guys in the development process now? Because I know you're still in the early access uh, spot. Where do things go from here? We are live. Uh, we launched late at the end of June for early access. So we, we have a lot of great support from people who, who are excited about this concept and want to become final cardholders. So we've got a wait list, about 150,000 people. Uh, we're gradually rolling out invites to that group to a select number. So we've started onboarding our early cardholders, getting a lot of great feedback and 
continuing to iterate and, and improve the the product and, and think about the future and sort of additional place to value because we don't really see ourselves as a, a product that that sort of stops with this security and control feature. We think about how we can create a holistic payments product for our customers and continue to add sort of convenience and better experience to their lives. Yeah, you guys haven't, I mean, I don't know, have you haven't even gone near things like reward programs yet, right? Well, we have. I mean, we keep it very, very simple and straightforward for our customers. So on day one, we have a 1% cashback product. Ah. So instantly redeemable. You can add it to, you know, once the rewards are redeemed, you can add it either directly to your checking account or as a credit to your account. That's, that's incredible. And I, you know, I generally ask people about security and obviously your whole product's built around security. So and I think we've just had a discussion <laughs> about security and, and, and the way you make money is, which is the last question I generally ask people, Andrew, is for you, it seems like, like the way every other credit card company makes money. Yeah, we have a traditional model where we, you know, share the, the revenue from interchange fees and interest on the debt uh, yeah. with our bank partner. Yeah. And for people to get more, it's getfinal.com. Yep. www.getfinal.com. Wow. Uh, we've got a great video. We, we worked with the, the folks at Sandwich Video. So Adam Lissiger, he's really great at, at storytelling for uh, startup products uh, and really sort of, you know, simplifying and in a humorous way uh, telling the story. So great video. It was a lot of fun making it with them. They're really talented. So that's, that's fantastic. And we'll have a link in the show notes, everybody, at uh, stackybenjamins.com for uh, final, and it's getfinal.com. Thanks for hanging out, Andrew. Joe, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. All right, how's that for a mind-bending interview? One credit card, lots of different numbers. That is a product I think that's going to go far. I will have links on our show notes, as I mentioned, at stackybedjamins.com. All right, let's get back to our fun discussion with our roundtable crazies, Greg McFarlane from Control Your Cash and Investopedia, Paula Pant from Afford Anything, and of course, Len Penzo from lenpenzo.com. So let's move on to our last thing today. And you guys know how much I love this. I, I read this back at the Moneyologist. So from time to time, we go to marketwatch.com and the Moneyologist column. And I ask you three to answer uh, a, the, the latest letter uh, to the Moneyologist. So here it is, guys. And we've given you the question, but not the answer. So that the Moneyologist has. I hope nobody cheated and read the Moneyologist answer. But here is the question. Dear Moneyologist, can I protect my credit and not lose my family? I live in Wisconsin, which is a community property state. My husband doesn't have the best financial history, which has led to him filing bankruptcy prior to our marriage. He's now attempted to get a loan several times, and he has not been approved. It's very concerning to me because we're married. I'm liable for any debt he carries. I'm not comfortable with acquiring new debt, but also fear this will begin to place a strain on our marriage. His bad credit score is ruining our marriage. I placed a free on my credit with all three credit bureaus. Is there anything else I can do to protect myself? Greg, is there anything she can do to protect herself? And is his bad credit score ruining their marriage? First of all, it is so tempting to read these answers, but I swear to God, I didn't do it. 
I have no sympathy for anyone who gets married and even less for people who get married with divergent attitudes regarding money. You don't know that coming in. You think it's going to sort itself out. It's like if one of you wants kids and the other one doesn't, you don't compromise by having half a kid. Yacinta needs to either move her and the husband to a non-community property state or sit him down and say to him, look, I still want to be with you, but let's do the strategically sound thing and get divorced and keep separate accounts. That way you can't screw me over with your reckless spending. But yeah, they should probably move, especially since Wisconsin can be cold. <laughs> Which is exactly why Greg moved from Canada. I'm straight. Yeah. Uh, Len, let's go to you next. What do you think? Yeah. Do you agree with Greg? Stole, Greg stole my thunder. I, I was honestly, I was, I was going to say get divorced. And I was going to double double up on that by saying, you know what? You shouldn't have been in this position in the first place if you'd have, you know, kind of if you got to know the person before you got married, you know, you don't put yourself in that kind of position. Some some things are just when a couple has wildly divergent financial philosophies, so to speak, and you're living in a community property state like Wisconsin, you should never got married in the first place. You know, I, that sounds terrible. But yes, I totally agree with you, Greg. The, the part that I don't get, Len, is this part when she says he's now attempted to get a loan several times and he has not been approved. I mean, why would they, if they're married and she knows he's got really rotten credit, like if, if she agrees with the loan, why wouldn't she take out the loan? Well, maybe I, you know what? I don't know. Maybe who, who knows? Maybe he needs the loans for something that he that he's doing on his own. I have no, I have most of these stories from the moneyologist, Joe, are just so <laughs> Strange. I they defy credulity sometimes. You know that's I I don't know. <laughs> Makes my head hurt. Greg thinks they're fake. I, you know what? I will say that the the thing about the, I will always vouch for that. The credit freeze I, is a fantastic idea. I, as speaking as one person who has his own credit, I, my my credit's been frozen for three or four years now, probably four years. And, uh, you know, I highly recommend that for everybody if for anything else, but for peace of mind. What do you, you know, what, so. what do you do then if you're, if you decide that 0% financing is for you on a car? So yeah, I mean, then I have to, okay. So if it's on a, if, if I know I'm going to buy a car, obviously I'll, ahead of time, I will unfreeze my credit so they can run a credit report and, and you can pick the window of time that you want the credit report unfrozen in California. It's $10 per agency. So, and there's three agencies, so, so it'd be 30 bucks, but, uh, it, you know, the, the only time it's really been a, a hassle. Sometimes one time we went out shopping and we saw some furniture we wanted to get, and I didn't unfreeze my credit. So I had to go back home, unfreeze it and then come back. But generally it's, it's really worth it. In my opinion, you stick it in the oven to unfreeze it. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so bad. Paula, what do you, you say? Bad or dad? How about both? Does that have to be either <laughs> yeah. or? Right. Paula, uh, what, what, what do you think? Are you on the get divorced train? Man. So on one hand, I'm reluctant to tell any couple to get divorced because I'm a little bit of a, a traditionalist in terms of the, you know, till death do us part. Those are vows that you took, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Yay. Rainbows, unicorns. Uh, on the other hand, I am concerned about the fact that she and her spouse are so, this this sounds like a trust issue. It's not just a financial issue. She does not trust him to be responsible with debt and she does not trust him to not saddle her with something that could significantly impact the rest of her life. While I wouldn't necessarily tell them to get divorced, I think that this problem is indicative of much deeper issues in their relationship that they're going to have to work on. That being said, in terms of what financial advice I would uh, give her, 
I think that the fact that she has frozen her credit is a very good start. If it's possible for them to declare residency in a different state, that would be even better. Uh, if it's possible for her to completely separate out her finances from his, have her own accounts, that'd be pretty good as well. Well, that's good for her, but but that, that's not really good for them, which is the deeper issue you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so it sounds as though on one hand, she is trying to save their marriage while simultaneously being concerned about the habits that he has and the impact of those habits on her life. So there's kind of two issues here. There's the logistical issue of how can she protect herself from um, his bad decisions. Uh, and that's like an, a logistical administrative type of question. And then there's that deeper issue of, hey, we're not on the same page here. What's going on? I don't think I totally trust you. We got to see if we can get the moneyologist on the show because I know that he has a <laughs> podcast of his own. But Greg, I'm very curious because we've talked about these that sound suspiciously cardboard. And also, you know, they have question and answers over at the simpledollar.com. And those also tend to... <laughs> tend to read a little like uh, one Trent Ham, the, the guy that owns the Simple Dollar, might have written them. Uh, you think? I would love to see, Greg, if you wrote these. Like, they should they should hire you to ghostwrite these. I think that'd be fun. Well, on Control Your Cash, I did a mailbag once in a while, and to flush them out, yeah, I wasn't above creating false letters, but I was completely uh, upfront about it. I would disclose that at the start, and then and then I would lambaste the letter writer, which is myself. <laughs> I, I miss those. That would be hilarious. Oh, that's good. Uh, then I, again, they went, they went to the trouble of signing a minute. I mean, how many women named Yacinta can there possibly be? Well, in I just I just did a search. I just Google is your friend, folks. There are seven there are seven Yacintas in Milwaukee. Oh. Seven of them. I have pictures here for oh one two three. <laughs> Actually, there's eight Yacintas. There's eight Yacintas. According to like Facebook or yellowpages.com? Oh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I haven't even thought about that. I'm going to see if any of these people will want to link up with me here so I can have some. One of them works at a bank. Another one. Supervisor Goodwill Industries. Yacinta, you can't get by the Stacky Benjamins crew. The teacher at Kinder Care. There it is. One of them has an arrest. One of them has an arrest. <laughs> I wonder if it's a recently murdered husband. She's, she's a graduate of Emory University. That's all I know. Well, you seem to, if you're listening to the show, that's, that's awesome. All right. Let's uh, let everybody off the hook here. Uh, Greg, oh, great, no, no. To, great to have you back. Good luck with the rest of the healing. How long is your therapy going to go now? Oh, man. Uh, at least another month. Yeah, I'm not talking about your legs. I'm talking about therapy. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, I can't drive to that, so they're going to they're gonna have to come to me. Yeah, what's going on with you? Are you writing an Investopedia? What's going on? I can't write. I'm crippled. There you, there you, go. you have a disability, man. That's exactly. Where, where's my check? That's right. But you know what we should talk about, Greg? I know something that would make a fantastic holiday gift for our listeners, and it's that time of year. D do you know what I'm referring to? Uh, yes, and I'll take it under advisement. Yeah, Control Your Cash is a great book. Len Penzo says it's his favorite. Len, how much money did Greg give you to write that? Uh, <laughs> honest to God. Maybe you're trying to, to get a joke on it. I, he didn't pay me one cent. It, honest to goodness, is the best personal finance book I've ever read. 
I'm not trying to either. Actually, it, actually, I was looking for a joke, but still, it's it's, it's it's it's. I flew through that book. I thought it was so. It was. It's such a fun read, Greg. And Len agreed with me on the uh, Yacinta thing, so I think he and I should maybe run away to a non-community property state and start a new life. I did. Hey, that all right? Yeah, I'm open to that. You like tasers? You like tasers? Yeah, and a gallon of water, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing we can't do with tasers, a gallon of water, and a Holiday Inn. <laughs> Len, what's going on at LenPenzo.com? Hey, since it is the holiday season, or it's rapidly uh, coming upon us here, I have 12 deadly foods that you should keep away from your pets during the holidays. Ouch. Chocolate. Is that a guess? Or are you, yes, that's, that's a guess. I'm throwing one out. That I can't. one of them. Yes, can't that's, that's one Bang. of them. All right. Uh, cool. We'll link to that on our show notes at StackyBenjamins.com. Paula? What's happening at the podcast, the awesome Afford Anything podcast, or that crazy Afford Anything blog? On the Afford Anything podcast, uh, check out an episode on how to avoid financial frenemies, people who pretend to be your friends but are actually dragging you down. In an episode in which I interview a certified financial planner named Mary Beth, we talk about six different types of financial frenemies and actually role play how to deal with some of them. Mary Beth stores Johan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's how you pronounce one. her name. Man, I'm good. Uh, is, is she from Milwaukee? <laughs> she's from Southern California. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's been on the round table. Were, were, were you on with her, Greg? Uh, I don't believe so. No? Yeah, I'll I, I wasn't on the round table with her either, I don't think. No. Nope. Len, was it you? Was she from Milwaukee? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I think we're going to leave it there. How many of these have we done, Joe? We've done like 5,000 of these. I can't yeah. remember. Six or seven. I don't even remember what I had for lunch. Right. Right. All right, guys. Thanks for playing. I'm going to go uh, watch the paper chase. <laughs> Oh, that's going to do it for this week, everybody. Usually, we play a game on these year podcasts. And as our friend Daryl says, he thinks that the newest game is betting when the new game's going to start. I'll tell you when the new game's going to start, Daryl. It's going to start after the new year because it's going to get choppy here. In December, we have our normal break in about three weeks. And then we have a week on. And then we're always off the holiday week around Christmas, New Year's. And uh, that kind of thing. So that last week of the year, we always take off. So we are going to get rested up and ready for 2017. But don't stay. By the way, don't miss December because I'm going to tell you, even the shows that Griffin, the intern, or rather the Fintern, is going to play for you on the week that we're gone. He's going back and and he really, he showed me what he's going to play and we're hitting it hard in December. It's going to be an exciting week. We also have some really great guests coming up in December. It's going to be a lot of fun. I also have a contest that ended long, long, long time ago that we have to tell everybody about. You know, back early in the year, we started this contest that was about numbers and stuff. It was a contest for some of the biggest numbers coincidences in your life. And we ran this during the summer and we brought it down to four, four people that were in the finals. And the finals were grandma. This took me a little while. Grandma's birthday is February 29th. Granddaughter's birthday. I think if I remember sometime in September last year, grandma and granddaughter took a birthday together because they were both turning 13. Get it? 
That took me a little while to figure out, but I finally got it. I'm a bear, a very little brain, apparently, but that was awesome. 13th birthday trip together. How about this? Julie sent us this one. John sent us that one, by the way. Julie sent us this one. The words stacking Benjamins and binary numbers take 72 digits going along with our love for the rule of 72. When Mike sent the third one, when dating found out that he and the woman he was dating, now his spouse, that their parents' garage door codes were exactly the same for different reasons, but that is a true sign of love. And then Chuck said, well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.